This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to Sales Gravy. On this episode, we have part three of my conversation with Patrick Tenney, the author of Unlocking Yes on sales negotiation tactics. And in this episode, we do a deeper dive into those core tactics that will make you a more effective negotiator. One of the big things, though, that holds salespeople back from being better and more effective negotiators is our natural fear of being rejected. And in my brand new book, Objections, I teach you the keys to becoming rejection-proof and building obstacle immunity so that in those tense situations, you are able to influence and persuade other people to comply with your request. So go right now to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold and pick up your copy of my brand new book, Objections. I guarantee that this is one book that will help you make more money this year. Now, here is part three of my conversation with Patrick Tenney on sales negotiation tactics. One of the, one of the important things that I think that people are afraid to do in the environment that we're in right now is ask really hard questions around qualifying. And that's what splits uh, the wheat from the chaff. Uh, why, and- why is that so? Why are we... Like, where does that fear come from? And because I, I love what you said, because that that early on qualifying, and I'm not talking about intrusive, but that early on qualifying that does allow you to shape the end negotiation. So, why are you saying that people are afraid to ask the hard questions up front? Well, you know what? Again, we're um, I'm I'm just going to say that that money. Uh, we've been through a period where money has been tighter than we were used to in years past. So uh, things are, are a little bit tighter. There's more competition. There are more sellers than there have been historically because it's, it, it, we live in a, a marketplace where you know you can have somebody dialing in from a, a country that's like 4,000 miles away with a competitive bid. So um, there, there's two levels of qualifying here that, I, that I'd like to talk about. One is the qualifying that happens up front so that we have a clear understanding of their objectives and we match them against our objectives and what we're trying to do is we're trying to close a gap in there. And the closer we can come on, on a linear basis, and for, in my particular case, I like to call it an expectation gap. And when I get close to that expectation gap, getting that far away, then we enter what is known as the, uh, the bargaining continuum, which is where we can go back and forth and begin to try and decide whether we can get a deal done. And by the way, it's got to be profitable. I mean, the worst thing you can do is go into uh, an organization where they say, I don't care, Jeb, if you make a profit, I'm just going to buy. And if you don't want to buy at the price that I'm selling at, we're not doing a deal. And your position was the inverse. You're saying, I'm not going to go into a culture that is pernicious where everything is game theory and win-lose, they win, we lose. You've eliminated those people. And part of that understanding is is knowing the kinds of of things that they're doing to you. You know, it's like... uh, there's a whole bunch of, of things that people can do that you can identify really quickly. Like some people say, well, I have no money. Well, if you have no money, why are we talking? Oh, you don't know how bad it is here. I have no money. Well, that, that's, that's, that's a piece of a strategy. I, I refer to that as poor mouth. And you can see that in organizations. I was dealing with one of the largest retailers in Canada. I mean, we're talking huge, right? And they wanted a, a negotiation program. And all of a sudden, they come up and they say to me, oh, I can't afford that. I said, seriously? 
and, and the person gave it, oh yeah, but you gotta understand, this is, a, this is my department budget. I'm going, yeah, but you, know, you, you wanna train all these people. Yeah, I know, but it's in my department, I don't have a lot of money. There's, there's a great story in the book where I'm talking with an MBA and uh, her dad owned a, um, a business that made um, uh, small industrial uh, tools. Anyway, long story short, she said, oh, yeah, she says, I've heard that we got no money. And she said, then, yeah, and there's another thing. This, this old buyer used to come in and say to my dad, ah, you know, Frank, we says, we've been through some tough times, you and I together, and I just don't have any money. And, you know, I know you want a dollar a unit for these things, but I can only afford 40 cents a unit. And she said, my dad would look back and go, holy smokes. I mean, I can, I can, I can barely make it for that. And, and, and then the crescendo is the guy would look across and he'd say, all right, let's split the difference. Well, what the, what the, what the person has done there is they, they've employed two strategies to make uh, a, a super combo strategy and the average person wouldn't necessarily see it coming. So this is why you have to have a greater understanding of, of how a lot of, these, a lot of these things work. And it can happen on a very small negotiation on a, a thing that only costs a dollar, right up to whatever size you wanna go. I see it all the time. That's for me what, what I see salespeople doing. It's, it's a red herring. So at the very beginning, you get, an, you get an upfront negotiation, like I can only do it for so much, right? And, yeah. and the salesperson goes for it hook, line, and sinker. Now they're haggling a price with no information, with no discovery versus saying, that's great. I got that. Let me learn a little bit more about you and what you need and what you want. Because what they don't know is that the guy that's saying, you know, I only, I'll only pay 40 cents a unit has got an order from a client that they have to fulfill and they've got to fulfill that in three weeks. And you don't know that like you have. So you gave away all your leverage. You negotiated with yourself before you got there and you allowed your emotional need to close the deal to get the best of you. And the person that says, hey, I don't have any money. Like you said, it's a logical thing to say to yourself. If you don't have any money, how come we're talking? Like, why are we having this conversation? So it doesn't make, people don't do illogical things on purpose. We wouldn't be having the conversation if they didn't have any money. So what you have to do is allow that to go, and we, we call it the matrix move, right? You just go, shh, let it go by. Yeah. Don't deal with that. Start asking questions and doing discovery so that at the end of the meeting, you can make a decision whether or not you want to remain engaged or move on. Because... You know, for me, it's like there's a couple of things at play here. One of them is, is it a fit for me? And I, I um, we we disengaged from a, a deal we were working on because we realized culturally it wasn't a fit. We were always going to be treated as a vendor and we were going to be ordered around. And even though the the client said, you know, we want to we want an integrated partner with us, but it wasn't going to be like that. And we we didn't we we didn't want to you know be the um, you know the dog getting wagged by the tail. So we made a decision to disengage from something because we couldn't negotiate better relationship terms. I mean, it was not possible to do that. But the flip side of that is the person that says I need money because I had somebody tell me I need money yesterday, and I went, okay, well, probably sounds like we shouldn't be working together. And they went, well, no, 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 no. I went, oh, okay. Well, so so what do you want to talk about? Well, blah 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 blah. So as I listened to them. It was, it wasn't a departmental issue. It was a negotiating strategy that they had learned. Like that, let's throw it up front, and I wouldn't play the game. And when I wasn't willing to play the game, they came back. And sometimes you go, it's probably not going to work out because there's no way that I can do it for that much. And they go, okay, thank you, and you saved yourself a ton of time because now you know where they stand. 
But what I find, like you said, the fear of asking questions is most salespeople aren't willing in that moment to either confront the issue and call it for what it is, do a takeaway on it, or they are they are so eager that they allow their emotions to run wild and they, they, they dive headlong into a negotiation. We don't have money. Well, how much money do you have? Well, I only have this much money. Well, what if I could do it for this? I mean, we're having, we don't even know the basis of the, of the problem. And we don't know, we don't even know sometimes whether the person has the authority to buy. We don't have it yet. And there's no, no, you're, you're dealing with what we call a seeker. Like you talk about sales EQ. You're yeah. dealing with a seeker who's, who is negotiating. You know, I always say, you know, there's a $10 an hour person negotiating on behalf of a $25 billion company. How does that work? It doesn't work. This well, is when you're and we're back, let's go back to the on the street negotiation. So you have to know how much you want to spend. You have to know as much as, as you can about the product that either you're buying or you're selling. You have to know about any of the variables in, involved in this. I, I remember I had a friend of mine who said, uh, Patty says, uh, it was when GM was getting out of the Pontiac business. He said, I found this little micro up at a dealership and, uh, he said, I want you to help me come up and close out the deal. He says, you're the negotiator. And I go, all right, all right. So we'll go up. And I said, uh, I said, what did the car originally list for? And he goes, oh, it was around, I, I think it was around $13,000. I said, well, what are you down to now? He says, oh, we're down around $9,000. I says, my God, you've, <laughs> you've, you've worked this poor guy down. He says, yeah, I know. But he says, I think there's, he says, you come up. He says, you're smart. So anyway, <laughs> not that I'm smart, by the way. But anyway, I am persistent. So anyway, I went up, and so I, I got talking to this guy, and uh, anyway, I said, all right, so we, we're pretty close here on price. I mean, we're going to ask for just a tiny bit more here, but what can we do on soft costs? And all of a sudden, you see the salesperson's eyes just light up like a Christmas tree. He goes running back into the car dealership, and he says, get in here really quick. Nobody talks about soft costs in a car dealership. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, we went in there. And, and the funny, the, I'll, I'll just give you a funny little story in this one. So we're in this deal. I'm asking for a little bit more. I'm asking for some detailing, and I'm asking for a break on a, a long-term uh, uh, service agreement because, you know, if Pontiac gets out of the business, then we want to be assured that we have access to parts and all the rest of this stuff and good service. And so finally, the guy looks over and he says, I, I'm not, this is a sales manager. I'm not going to accept this deal. And all of a sudden, somebody walks in with a cherry pie. And I, I've heard about this before, but I've just never seen it in action. And she says, because you've test driven this car, you're, 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 um, you're entitled to, and yet you've won a cherry pie. And I look back at her and I said, no, I'm sorry. I said, my, uh, my, my, uh, my friend here and I are, we're both allergic to sugar and our families are too. So please give it to somebody else. What they're trying to do was they were trying to break our, mm -hmm. our focus and give us something small so that we'd have to give something big back later. And I, I recognize that in the moment. And that's what this is, this is focus on the on the EQ and understanding what people are doing to you. And I leaned across the table and I finally said to the sales manager, I said, listen, we've eaten up at least two or three hours of, of your salesperson's time. I got to figure that's worth a dollar amount. I'm sitting here in front of you and I got to think that you're uh, uh, worth uh, so many hundred dollars of an, an hour. So I pushed the deal across the table. I said, you can't, if you don't sign this deal and I walk out, you're down this much money just by sitting there not signing the deal. And he looked back at me and he says, sign the deal, get this guy out of here, get him down to finance and get him out of here. <laughs> so many influence frameworks in there, you know, especially the cherry pie, you know, inf the, the obligation framework. So giving it to you, it's a deep seated thing for us as human beings. If someone gives you something, you want to give something back and you can do the same thing in negotiations. But I, I love what you did 
but you did it on the on the on the buyer side versus on the seller side right. is is you quantified the the soft costs the the cost of not doing something the risk the upside risk of not doing something and a, a lot of salespeople don't do that. I, I, I watched a salesperson do this masterfully, masterfully uh, with a, a client where she she went in with a higher price, so her rate was higher than the competitor. And the 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 buyer, of course, said, you know, apples to apples, this rate's too high. Like you're, it's higher than the competitor. How can you justify this? And she says, well you have to send two people over to the competitor every day in order to get the service that you pay for. They have to go there. And because you're, the, the, my competitor is uh, not available for you, you're having them sit out in front of the competitor's office waiting to get the service that you paid for. And, and you told me that your people, they're 20 bucks an hour. So every day they're out there for two hours. It's 80 bucks a day that you spend to get this service. And if you, if you add that up, it's this much. So if you look at my rates compared to my competitor rates, I'm actually putting this much money in your pocket. And the buyer reached across the table and signed the deal. But that goes back to discovery. She had done her homework. She understood the value, the cost of the buyer doing that. And she didn't expect the buyer to logically understand that. The, the buyer at the emotional level was just looking at two rates. It, she had to change the way it looked. And you did exactly the same thing on the buyer side. So you're sitting in front of the car, you know, the, the dealer, the manager, and you're saying, listen, you've spent all of this time doing this. Are you willing to lose this much money so that I walk on this deal? There was a, a, a another thing here that I think is important, and that is understanding what you can give away. So we often get so caught up in negotiating a price that we forget that there are soft costs, like there are soft things. There are, there are delivery dates that can be moved or changed. There are, there are, um, are, are add-ons that we can give that don't cost us any money at all. And the problem that we face is we, we put all of those into a deal and we never take them back. So for me, right, so when I'm in a situation, what, what I believe, like one of my core tactics is you never give unless you get something back. So if, some, if you said to me, for example, well, I need you to do this. So part of our training programs, um, I shouldn't probably say this, I'm going to give away my negotiating strategy, but <laughs> part of our training programs, we offer anchor sessions. So we yeah. typically, when we go on site and train, we'll do four anchor sessions afterwards. Yeah. Usually one of my trainers does an anchor session. So it costs me money. I mean, there's real cost to it. I pay the person for the time that they're in the anchor session. And, but we, what we also know that as trainers, it, it adds a lot of value because if we can go back in and we can spend a month, you know, once a week with the people that we trained, the, the, the training material is more likely to stick. So everybody wins in this situation. But when someone comes at me and says, I'm not willing to pay this for training, then we can take that back off the table. There is value to it. I mean, there's value to doing that, but we have that as a way of saying, if, you know, in this particular environment, we've priced ourselves to include this in, but if you want to do at this price, we, we won't do those sessions. The good news is that most people see the value in those sessions and they understand why they're there. And by, by using that as leverage, we're able to help them get out of the apples to apples comparison and start thinking about the overall value of the deal that we presented them. And I think every salesperson everywhere 
has some of those intangibles or some of those things that they, they can keep in their back pocket. The problem is they never take them away. Like you, 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 like you put, you put your deal together. You say, it's going to be this, 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 and this. And right. the buyer comes back and says, well, I will only pay you this. The salesperson negotiates the price without <laughs> ever pulling anything else off the table. So, you know, it's like in the car dealership example, if the sales manager had said, well, I'll give you this price, but I'm not doing the detailing. You know, the detailing, yeah, I mean, there's some cost to them to do the detailing, but the people that they're going to be, it's a fixed cost for them. For you, it means a lot, right? Having the thing washed, all those things. So you may say, but I really want to wash the thing myself. I mean, I want it to look good. And we have to re realize, I think, where our leverage is. And and like my like number one rule for negotiating, Patrick, is I never, ever, ever give, take, you know, give something away unless I get something back. There has to be a fair value trade in any negotiation. And, and when you look at it that way, you win. The problem is we go back to if I didn't do discovery, if I didn't do my homework, if I didn't know all of the things that were happening, if I didn't understand the competitive set, then I'm, I, I, I'm not able to take things away because I'm afraid that if I pull something back, it's going to hurt me. I don't have any other information. Back to objectives. Back to objectives. You have to understand with clarity the objectives on, on both sides. And they have to be crystal clear. That is the most important thing. Thank you again for joining me on the Sales Gravy Podcast for my conversation with Patrick Tenney about sales negotiation. Parts four and five are coming up soon, so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss those episodes. And do yourself a favor. Go right now to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold and pick up a copy of my new book, Objections. Objections will teach you the emotional control that you need in those tense moments when you are negotiating and asking for what you want. And it's the one book that I can guarantee will make you more money this year. You'll pick up Objections, the ultimate guide to mastering the art and science of getting past no.